We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet. I'm your host, James Anderson, and this is the first of three podcasts where we will be discussing the Rotowire Dynasty mock draft. Uh, I'll be having um, guests on to, to talk about their picks and their strategy and, and all that fun stuff. And leading things off for us is Matt Williams. Uh, Matt is... Uh, he's got his hands in, in a lot of different places, uh, does a lot of great stuff on Twitter, um, breaking down different players with, with video and stuff like that. He also uh, won the uh, – or uh, co was a co-champ of the, the Tout Wars Draft and Hold League that I play in last year, um, writes for NBC Sports Edge, um, lots of other stuff. So, Matt, uh, really appreciate you taking the time to come on. How are you doing? Man, no problem. Happy holidays, everyone listening. Yeah, it's uh... – it's good to talk about baseball. I try to be optimistic because I, I think of it, there is no lockout. Basically, we had the winter meetings a week early, and it'd be kind of slow this time of, time of year anyway until pitchers and catchers. So I'm, I'm thinking it's a business as usual in my head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hell yeah. I, I think uh, we should all just kind of hope that hope for the best on that front. Um, so you were, you were picking 20th. Yes. Uh, which is a it's a it's an interesting spot to to pick. I mean, we, twenty teams. Um, so you're obviously you're not getting a you know a true you know like blue chip stud like a, a Soto or a Vlad or anything like that. But I think you um, I think you made out pretty well. Uh, you got Mookie Betts to fall all the way down to you at twenty, and uh, you got his former teammate Xander Bogarts, um, and then you, you got Freddie Peralta in the third, Noel B. Marte in the fourth, Nolan Arenado in the fifth. Uh, what was your general strategy heading into this thing? See, and like they always say in redraft leagues, people tell you, ignore ADP, go get your guy, but you kind of use ADP as a guide because there's a certain level of where people go in a draft. In dynasty, that doesn't exist. You go and evaluate people in your own terms. If you look at anyone's dynasty rankings, they're all different. And then if you're in a deep dynasty league, picking out of the 20, you really can't have much of a plan because as I found, no matter what plan I cooked up for my next pick, uh, there's like, you know, 40 players being taken between picks. So uh, I had to move around my strategy quite a bit. I, I basically just wanted to go with best player available for a while. Uh, I couldn't, uh, I didn't think Mookie Betts would ever make to me a 20. I have concerns about his hip, like 
as far as redraft goes. But again, if you're in a 20 team league, you can't let that kind of upside go. I think he'll be fine. Xander Bogarts plays like he's the opposite. He's like plays always. And um, he's like never injured. So I love him. Freddie Peralta. Uh, just, I'm only, I'm not going to go through every pick here. If you're worried about that, but Freddie Peralta, I absolutely love. I just did one of my 2022 breakdowns on him. I think sky's the limit. Um, he does have a little bit of a mechanical, I don't want to say an issue. It's a, it's like a, a like a, a, a interesting part of his game where he throws cross body. And, uh, I, I kind of linked him to John Trell Willis, which is an extreme where he had that crazy, like high leg kick. But the fact is if you have a really athletic, wind up sometimes it's harder to uh repeat and then maybe as you get older if you get off track with it that can cause problems but his is nowhere near as complicated as some but it gives him this nice cut on his fastball um and uh, i really like him going forward a lot i think what we saw last year is very legitimate and i was stunned to get noel v Marte in the in the uh in the fourth which was you know technically the bottom of the third because i'm on the turn but yeah i think i think besides j-rod he is uh i i i think he kind of has the uh, well, I guess in Bobby Witt Jr., uh, he has like a sky high potential, like all the way across the board. So even though he's a little bit away, and I understand in Dynasty, a lot of people don't want to wait. Uh, I, I was very happy to get him there. So let's say that this was a real league that we were going to be playing out. Yep. <clears throat> you you end up with Noel V. Marte in the fourth. You also got Robert Hassel in the ninth. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither guy will be up this year. Uh, but you do have a lot of big leaguers who are in their primes. So, I mean, there's, there's certainly a chance you could have ended up being competitive if this, if this was a league that we were playing out. Would you have entertained the idea of using Noel V. Marte or Robert Hassel as a trade chip, uh, say, early in the season if it was looking like things were coming together for you? Or would the idea be to just try to do your best with the the veterans that you drafted. And then those guys would be kind of the, the futures of your team in a few years. I think I put myself in a good position to pivot two ways where I have bets and he's a little older, but I have, I still have a pretty young team going for the rest of my squad where I think that if um, I wasn't doing well, I can maybe trade bets and try to re-up and replenish with some of my younger players and kind of uh, pivot down. And I still have a guy like Nolan Arenado, but overall my team is young enough where I could compete for several years. But on the flip side, yeah, if I was really going for it, my team has one very serious flaw and that I really took high ceiling pitchers. A lot of guys coming off of surgery. I got Carlos Rodon, Dustin May. Um, I took, I took uh, Matt Allen, uh, and JT Jin of the Mets um, really close together. So I have a lot of um, pitchers that could be, uh, you know, could be injury risk. So I uh, flipping uh, maybe some prospects like a hassle to someone who fell out of it and maybe trying to bring in uh, more established uh, pitchers, that would definitely be something. But I think, um, I think also if I, things weren't going the way I wanted, I could try to trade some of my veterans and move down. So I think I'm kind of in the middle, but yeah, that's definitely something I, I think I'd be able to pull off. Yeah, with Carlos Rodon in the sixth, um, you know, I I am a little concerned about the fact that the White Sox uh, didn't didn't bring him back um, because they they know his uh, health, you know, better than anyone probably. Uh, And then obviously you're not going to get much from Dustin May in 2022. But your fourth pitcher, uh, Tariq Skubal, 
is a guy that I, I just, you know, I, I would say I probably don't, I ha, I've never been able to have like a really good read on him. Uh, you know, I used to think he would be a, a future reliever. Um, he's probably been, been better than that uh, to date, but still, you know, not a, not a finished product, not a, not a super consistent guy. Uh, what do you see in Scooble uh, for 2022? He made strides definitely towards the end and in, in the mind, he's different. He's a very high strikeout guy in the minors. What, many people thought he was pitching above his head because he doesn't have wild strikeout stuff, but he, he just throws, you know, he throws in the zone. He throws usually elevated stuff in the zone, at least in the minor leagues. And he came up and in his debut, you know, um, in 2020, five, six, three ERA, five, seven, five, five, none of the indicators were really strong. Uh, a lot had to do with his command. And, you know, he had about like a, you know, 8.2% walk rate, which wasn't too bad, but uh, that was something that he struggled with in double a uh, right before being brought up to the majors in 2019. So I think that last year he kind of cut down that walk rate a little bit, especially in the second half. And I think that uh, his, everything about him, I think he's going to be somewhat um, uh, preventative. I don't think that he's someone you got to worry about being injured the way he throws, uh, he doesn't see everything you really want to see out of all the, the like if you look at his chase rate, his O swing, that's kind of like around league average. His uh, Z contact is a little below league average, like a, a point or two below, which is great. His swing strike rate is everything was kind of average if you look at it from a full season standpoint. But but towards the very end, um, you know they were limiting his innings at the very end. But he looked like someone that was really coming around, and everyone likes to pay attention to Casey Mize and Matt Manning. But Turk Scooble. I think is someone that uh, is going to be maybe not um, sky high ceiling, but I think he'll be someone that can, um, that can go out there and give you like maybe like a high three ZRA, like a three, seven, five and give you, I'm hoping around like maybe uh, upwards of a 30% strikeout rate last year was 25.9, but I think that he can uh, get into that like 28% ish range this year. So I think if um, I'm not worried about his injuries, he's going to give me like a, you know, a high threes, ERA and a nice strikeout rate. I, I kind of like all of that. And he's young. So it's one of those guys where maybe the ceiling isn't there, but I think he's just like kind of like really underrated for what he can do like uh, longevity wise. Matt, did you have any, like, you know, you were picking at the turn. So obviously you were pick, making two picks at once essentially, yep. but um, were there any scenarios that you can recall where you had, three guys for two picks and it was just really tough to to make a decision on on who to take not not particularly honestly i usually would have four guys in mind with four picks to go and then all four of them would get taken that <laughs> happened quite consistently actually um i i mean i there there's quite a few people i wanted to uh, to follow me, Tyler O'Neill. I was going to take a no right before Noel Vimarti and Trevor Rogers. They both they both go right before me. Um, I or, or tell you, Tyler O'Neill and Trevor Rogers. I wanted Tyler Molly uh, right before Rodon. Uh, so yeah, I actually the exact opposite. So uh, uh, Robert Hassel, I considered taking actually um, a couple of rounds before, um, and then he came back to me. Uh, so there were some instances like that, and. Trevor Larnack, I consider taking him a little earlier. There's just some guys that I think just kind of fell to me. Um, and there's a few that I kind of reached on, like Tyler McGill, because I'm a homer uh, with my Mets hat on. But again, I love him long term. Almost kind of the similar reasons for that I listed for for Scooble. I just think he's an underrated 
uh, talent for even though he got the, you know, the microscope shine on him. But yeah, as far as people like having a hard time uh, picking, it didn't really occur that way. Um, I just kind of, um, yeah, anyone that I really, really wanted never quite made it to me. But I had a long list of people that uh, I was thinking of taking from for from rounds like 14 to 20. I ended up getting pretty much all of them. So uh, it was just a matter of maybe uh, I don't know, putting them in an order of importance for me. Like Joey Bart, I didn't ca- get a catcher. I'm not that excited about what he can actually do. Um, he got really, really he, he looked very uncomfortable at the major league level and he was over overwhelmed a bit, but all signs point to him getting a you know, big opportunity with a good team. So I took a shot there. So we'll see, we'll see how that pick goes. You mentioned uh, getting Trevor Larnock in the 13th and thinking about him even earlier than that. Uh, this was a league where I, I was telling people it's, you know, draft as if it's an OBP league. Um, and that that's kind of a, a boost for Larnock, I think. But um, did you see anything that, that concerned you with him uh, last year? Do you think it was just, you know, the playing time was inconsistent, the, the whole twin situation there sort of seemed to be kind of, um, you know, kind of a mess, especially for, for a rookie uh, making their debut. Um, do you have any concerns or do you think that it's just, you know, a player making his first taste of the big leagues and, and he'll be fine? Yeah, I think it was very incon- just an um, inconsistency of playing time. It's very difficult because they had a lot of ups and downs. He never, I, I think that when um, he did show signs, he made some really, really hard contact that you can kind of see exactly what you wanted to. His max EV was like 116 miles per hour, which is up there. Um, so, uh, I, I think that I saw the flashes I wanted to, he, he had a 34.6% strikeout rate, but still had that 10.3% walk rate. So I think long-term OBP, that plate discipline was there. Cause if you look in his chase rate, like his O swing swings outside of the zone for anyone who's not really familiar with that was 26.6%. Um, that's pretty, or 27.8%. That's really good. That's, that's like about four or five points, uh, better than league average. The problem is the swing strike rate was like 16.3. His, his contact in the zone was only 77. That is like, that is close to that is about eight percent worse, or eight point any eight percentage points worse than the league average. So he was having just um, trouble just making contact. I don't know if he was just being overly aggressive. He didn't look like he had like a major issue with breaking balls or anything like that. But I just think it's um, like Tyler O'Neill broke out this year, and he entire he he credited it to just getting everyday playing time, being able to be in there every day. Um, get his timing, um, make adjustments. And I just think he wasn't able to do that. So, uh, yeah, I think Trevor Larnack will be fine. I, I think that the the biggest thing was he he had a strong eye at the plate. He wasn't chasing bad pitches. So that would have worried me more, like if he was getting completely fooled. And I don't think that was the case. It looked more like a timing issue. Okay, that's, yeah, I like that breakdown. That uh, that should be encouraging for, for people that have uh, Larnack and Dynasty. Um you took a, a couple guys in Anthony Santander and Raimel Tapia who, um, you know, they've, they've performed for fantasy, um, but they're, and they're on rebuilding clubs. So I don't, I don't know if we should be that worried about their playing time in the short term, but um, you know, not guys that I would think you'd want to be giving like 550 plate appearances to if, if your team is trying to contend. Um, do you have any concerns about guys like Santander and Tapia just from a playing time standpoint over the next like three to four years? Or are you are you feeling like that they're going to be OK? All right. So I can tell you this is why I drafted them. 
I drafted Mookie Betts in round one. Um, and then I took Robert Hassel in round nine, not playing Trevor Larnack. We're not sure exactly how many at bats he's going to get. He'll probably get a lot, but I got him in 13. So right now we're sitting here where the rest of the league pretty much has their outfield filled. And I have one and a half players. So I needed people I just knew would play immediately. That's what I wanted to do. Like at least put some major league players on the board. Anthony Santander, I think will, you know, he will play for the Orioles for sure. And there's been a lot of teams that have been very interested in trading for him. So I think there's enough interest where I don't, I'm not worried about his playing time. The Rockies are going to Rocky. They talked about because of his contract um, and having a couple of years of control that there's actually uh, several teams interested in trading for Tapia. His, Fantasy value would obviously take a hit leaving there, but he has some high BABIP skills that I think if they would just leave him in the outfield, and I think he will with the DH coming, I think everyone knows it's coming. Connor Joe, I highly doubt will play left field. Either CJ Crone or Joe will go to DH and the other will play first. I think Tapia will play in the outfield. They could look to unload Blackman to a team. It's again, it's like one year a team like the Mets, just because I know my own team and other teams could look to take on that money and the Rockies could ship them a prospect in order to do it. Um, you know, they could always dangle Herman Marquez too. They say they want to go for it. So again, no one knows what the Rockies are thinking so far be for me to try and guess. But I'm, I think at that point in the draft, you know, he's a little stolen bases. I think that he has a high batting average in there, especially at cores. Um, so at that point I, I took him, I was considering him, maybe a guy like Willie Calhoun. Um, and then I, uh, and then, I just decided to go there. I mean, I, I considered taking like older guys, like maybe an Andrew McCutcheon, but I figured I'd try to roll the dice with someone a little younger that I thought would end up getting the playing time. But yeah, it's not a, it's not a pick I was in love with and hindsight, I probably could have gone a million different directions. So I'm not, I'm explaining why I did it, but it's not like I'm like, you know, to the death. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, whatever it is, what it is. You mentioned that you are a, a Mets fan and you did uh, take a handful of Mets here. Um, one guy that you ended up with was Jeff McNeil. Uh, that was in the 18th, 18th round. round. Yeah. Um, are you at all concerned about his playing time heading forward uh, after all the moves that they made to, to kind of bring in uh, a lot of reinforcements? And then obviously you got Robinson Cano still on the roster. Um, do you think that they're going to find enough playing time for McNeil for him to be a, a pretty viable option in 2022? Uh, one 18th round. I don't, I, I don't see how he should have lasted that long. I know people have concerns. I'm not concerned about his performance. I think if he plays every day, he's, I think he's proven enough to say that he is going to be a good, uh, high average hitter. He just, he's gone. He, he had a weird year with the, the, the soft tissue injuries and the weird situation dynamic learning the, um, the, to play with Lindor and they had their own thing with the raccoon or whatever that was. I uh, I have no actual concerns for his playing time this year because I think either the Mets make no more moves, Cano's the DH, and McNeil plays every day at second while Eduardo Escobar plays third, or they trade him because between J.D. Davis, Dom Smith, and Jeff McNeil, there's two of the three are gone. I would almost guarantee that. They're trading them. They're probably going to try to go out and get another starting pitcher. Carlos Rodon's available. You see Kikuchi is available. But after that, there's – you know, they need to add someone else. There was um, lots of rumors that they were trying to sign Scherzer and Gaussman on the same day. So they're going to make a move for a pitcher. And the best way to do that is to get rid of Dom, J.D. or McNeil. So um, I actually would be interested in all three in redraft because I think one way or another, 
Uh, two of the three of them are going to get every day at bats and the other one will be left with the Mets. And I think if it's McNeil, he'll still probably getting most at bats. Um, I think it's second base. So yeah, I think I'm not worried. I'm not that worried, especially in the 18th round. I think that's a fine gamble to take. Uh, he could have gone a lot earlier, but yeah, for, for now, I think 18, I felt pretty good about it. I actually don't like drafting Mets in fantasy. I'm usually a lot tougher on them. It was just so late. I mean, I ended up with a few, but he was my first one and I took him in around 18. Matt, one question I'm going to try to ask uh, most people I have on. So you, yep. this was a, you know, this was a dynasty mock, um, but I mean, I think there were a lot of smart uh, managers in it, um, and I think there's there's a lot that people can take away. Do you have any advice, um, just from like what you learned during this mock, for anyone who has a startup dynasty draft coming later this offseason? Yes. Um... I I, dra- I mean, I drafted a few high-end prospects, but my advice to everyone is don't get too wrapped up in the dynasty aspect of a dynasty league. You still want to win. I understand you want to be in there for years and you want to you know build a team, be a GM, but you still want to be competitive. Don't go too overboard with the young players. You know, you don't want to... You don't want to be waiting like, you know, five years for a Jason Dominguez or four years for a Jason Dominguez. It's it's a lot of fun, but you want to build a team that can actually play on the field. I got a little a little pick happy. Like, I don't know if I would even taken as many as I did. And I didn't take too many, uh, but you want to make sure that you go out of your way to put yourself in a position to win um, a championship within the next three years, I think is what you want to do, preferably the next two. So uh, as fun as Dynasty Leagues are, as far as, you know, you're looking forward I think some people tend to take that a little too far. And that's just something that I would maybe uh, caution some people against because it's fun, but then you're going to fall really far behind and you're not going to be winning. And then you're going to want to quit the league and you don't want to quit your league and your league's not going to be happy when you do. So yeah, take, uh, take the, even though you're planning for the future, take the present as serious as you can. You don't want to be drafting like, you know, 10 layers of Nelson Cruz, you know, you want to keep some youth in mind, but um, don't think of it as playing for the next 10 years or even the next five. Think, think I would think of it more for the next three with the next five in mind. I think that's very good advice. Uh, Matt, before, before you go, why don't you let people know uh, what you're working on, where they can follow your work and uh, you know, where, where they can follow you. Sure. Thanks for having me on, by the way. But uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter, M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S. I do a lot of free work on there. Use the hashtag 2022 player breakdowns. I do these max thread breakdowns on Twitter because I just love doing them. I have a lot of fun with them, have a lot of jokes in there. Uh, I'm part of NBC Sports Edge. I have a weekly column there during the season called By the Numbers. I'm also part of the uh, their draft guide magazine, which will be out in February. Uh, and also you can find me over the athletic. Uh, so yeah, I'm kind of everywhere, but, uh, if you, my DMS are always open on Twitter, always willing to talk baseball. So that's the best place to chase me down. If you have any questions. Great. Thanks a lot, Matt. All right. Our next guest is, uh, someone that I've been wanting to have on the pod for a while. Uh, Dylan white, who, uh, recently started working at prospects live um and he's doing a lot of really cool stuff over there uh dylan how's it going very good very good <clears throat> thanks for having me on i've been a huge fan of yours for a long time oh well that's very kind of you um so you were picking right behind me i was picking ninth. <laughs> you were picking 10th um 
I feel like there was there was definitely some sniping, and if not if not sniping, like I would be deciding between two guys, and then the one I didn't take, you would take him with the the very next pick. Um, your first pick, tenth uh, overall, Shohei Otani. <clears throat> you followed that up with Aaron Judge in the second, Byron Buxton in the third, Joey Gallo in the fourth, Will Smith in the fifth. And again, this is this is a a hypothetical OBP league. So with guys like Gallo and Judge, uh, that's particularly relevant. Um, what was your strategy coming into this thing? Uh, my strategy was to kind of stay flexible, not commit to a win now or a, a like young prospects uh, direction yet until I kind of saw how it shook out. So, and it was also to focus on, uh, on hitters, young, quote unquote, young hitters that are not like the Nelson Cruises or whatever, of course, um, early, and then kind of see how it, how it shook out. Yeah, that, that was basically my exact plan as well. Um, just try to stay flexible, you know? Um, so with the, the Shohei pick at, at 10, uh, he was certainly someone I was considering. Uh, I went with Trey Turner at nine. Um, when you, you know, when, when you were waiting to pick, um, you know, maybe when it was five or six picks on the board, was Otani someone that you were hoping to get? Was he a consolation prize? Uh, I, I kind of thought he would fall to me and then I kind of talked myself into committing to him. So as I saw it coming, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to get Otani. So he, he kind of was my, the, the, my target, I guess, for that. 10th pick overall like I, I had him in TGFBI last year I have him in another dynasty and I just even in a weekly league especially OBP I just love the flexibility of if he has a good matchup you, you put him in a pitcher if you need a couple strikeouts like you can kind of tailor your 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 roster a bit better in the uh, in the end game of the season to to target the the categories you need in the standings. And it, it kind of worked out in that dynasty. We ended up in second um, and pitching was our big kind of concern. We had a really good hitting. And so I, we just plugged him in for into the pitching for a long time or for the last month or so. And then, I mean, I, I really liked the way that you started things with these, these five hitters. Uh, I mean, you kind of got a bit of everything, right? You got the big time power from Otani, Judge. I mean, actually all, all five of your first picks are going to be you know, significant power. Um, and then you get the speed from Otani and Buxton. Uh, and, you know, the the Will Smith pick in the fifth round, I, I think I was telling you um, uh, in, in our DM chat, like I was, I was really torn between uh, taking George Springer or Will Smith there. Uh, the more I kind of dig in on Will Smith, I just think he's just, such a stud and like for dynasty especially like if adley rutschman going in the third round will smith going in the fifth round to me i think like if anything um they should be going right next to each other i mean what what's your read on on smith and is this kind of what he is is there another level there um because he is still relatively young for a catcher i i was surprised at how good his stats are (laughs) i don't i don't own own him anywhere and then when i saw how good he is and and the dodgers traded uh cabert ruiz i know they have diego cartaya but 
it was like, well, this guy is good. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can get him in other, in other leagues. Like I believe in like position scarcity. Like I have Sal Perez in a lot of leagues. I'd like to take him and redraft. I pick like catchers or, or closers, like the quote unquote safe closers earlier than most people seem to like. Um, just cause I believe like, well, I mean, you know, the whole, all the arguments for positional scarcity. So the Will Smith pick I actually wanted Shane Boz. As I was picking Gallo in the fourth round, I was thinking I would get Boz in the fifth. Um, Before the draft, I I had your ranks out, and I kind of looked at where you kind of had people shaking out. I think Boz was 143 at the time, so that's like just after the the seventh round, eighth round. So I figured, you know, I'll I'll jump early and get him in the fifth, and of course, didn't work out. So I was kind of scrambling coming up to that Will Smith pick, but... Um, I didn't want to take Sal Perez. He's older. It's OBP, Real Muto. I mean, he, he seemed to be the only catcher. I was kind of going position by position of like who's kind of standing out in a tier above everyone else. And so I ended up with Will Smith. And it was funny because right after I picked him, you, you messaged me like literally a minute after <laughs> saying, I wanted Will Smith. I was thinking about him. Yeah. Uh, that's funny you mentioned that the Boz ranking because I, I just updated my dynasty ranks and, uh, I think I bumped him up into like the seventies um, because I did a deep dive on, on him. And I mean, he's really nothing to, to nitpick with Boz. Um, but like, so you're, I know you're a big projections guy um, and you've, if, if our buddy Smata still had those uh, historical TGFBI rankings up, I mean, you'd be right up there. Uh I mean, I feel like I think the top three would probably be you, me, and Kenyatta Store in in some order. Um, and you've been you've been projected to win uh, TGFBI just via projections. And if you use projections, they're they're always going to say like this catcher uh, should be going way ahead of his ADP, right? Yeah. No. Exactly. That's that's the. That's the whole thing because it, 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 it takes the replacement level at that position and then it like adds the dollar value like against that baseline and like the 30th catcher um, is always terrible. And so the, the best catcher is going to be that much better. And so like what are, are you ever are you kind of playing like let's just talk about redraft really quick. Are you kind of playing chicken at all with like where you take a catcher like or do you just take them where where it says to take them from a from a value standpoint because like a lot of people you know people that use projections people that kind of do it that way they're going to like catchers more than your average drafter but i still think there's kind of a bias a general bias sort of against taking catchers super super early um at least in in leagues like tgfbi what I do, it, it's actually very, very involved. Um, what I do is I run the projections, I make the tweaks that I make, and I get dollar values for everybody, and I kind of map out each position on like a chart of by dollar value on the y-axis and then like the position on the x-axis, and I, I see where the, the gaps are and all that. Um, I then look at ADPs. Um, and I try to see where the discrepancies are. Like, I think this is kind of common to everyone, but I, I really dive deep. I do like probabilities of this guy getting to me in the seventh round, stuff like that, to find the biggest gaps where I'm most likely to be able to get a guy that I target. So actually, speaking of TGFBI, for example, I looked at how it all shook out and I, I thought I'd have Wilson Ramos in the 10th 
And then in like the 27th, I take Luis Torrens and because Sal Perez would have been long gone. And then he was still there for me. It was the fifth or the sixth. I can't remember when. And I'm like, ah, he wasn't supposed to be here. <laughs> he's like, he's like a, a one round value here. I, I guess I'll take him. So I don't have to worry about taking Wilson Ramos and Luis Torrens later. Um, so I do all that. I like figure out what I think the dollar value is, see what the market is saying the dollar value is, trying to find the biggest gaps. And then like I'll, I'll re-go over it saying, well, what if I end up not getting Wilson Ramos there? How does that screw up my draft? And I kind of like try to find the most risk-averse, hedging, uh, optimal draft that I can. So I actually kind of map out like 25 rounds of who I think I could get and where I would have to uh, pivot if I don't get that person. It's pretty nuts. Is that is that easier to use in like a slow draft like TGFBI? Yes. Um, right. Like, I mean that, yeah, exactly. Like that's, um, and I've done that. I've done that in, in past years in TGFBI too, where you're kind of inputting the picks. Um, and it's nice when you have, you can take, you know, 20, 30 minutes, um, to really kind of play around with stuff and, and see how stuff is going to affect you and in, in the standings and that type of thing. Um, now you took Josh Hader as your very first pitcher in the sixth round, and you kind of alluded to the fact that you know just like with catchers, you're willing to take uh, closers higher than than some. Um, did you see like the starting pitching, like say the, the starting pitchers who went in the first five rounds um, from a projection standpoint? Did you think that those were all or? fairly good values did you think it was getting pushed too high and so you or was it just that the hitter values you were getting um were too good to pass up i think what happens is i i see a chunk of pitchers that all are kind of the same and that i don't know if i want to commit to one over another and i get worried that if i pick robbie ray instead of joe musgrove or something that i might have made the wrong choice and i should have stuck with musgrove and so i just kept deferring that that decision later and later and then so um when i wanted baz in the fifth Baz in the fifth and he was gone i was kind of it threw me for a loop at that point because i didn't know who to take i, I was looking at who was taken after the, the cease robbie ray and anderson joe musgrove grayson rodriguez kevin gaussman carlos Rodon, michael kopak tyler mall um all went before my sixth round so those are the guys that were available for me in the fifth uh, when I took Will Smith um, and I just, none of them, each of them had arguments against them. Each of them have like the definite have upside. Some are young, like Ian Anderson, Michael Kopak. Some are older, but dominant like Kevin Gaussman. Like I just didn't know who I wanted as my ace. And I just, I just punted it in that round. And then when it came back and it was Josh Hader, I just, I, I liked the fact that he's still relatively young. If you, if you think of how Andrew Miller was just so dominant for those years, it wasn't until he was 32 that Andrew Miller kind of fell off the cliff. So I'm hoping for, you know, four or five years of Josh Hader and he'll have great rate stats, great strikeouts. His innings are generally more than normal relievers. Um, he'll get like nine saves, seven, five to 10 saves. So it's just he like, because I know that my pitching staff won't be great moving forward, he'll at least cushion that blow for me. And then your first starting pitcher was Logan Gilbert in the seventh round. 
and then you didn't take another starter until you took Hyunjin Ryu and Nate Pearson in the 14th and 15th rounds. Um, Pearson and Gilbert are two guys who I've always been like a little bit lower on. Um, and I, I feel like you and I are usually uh, kind of aligned in, in a lot of our valuations of guys. So I'm interested in just uh, what you're expecting from Logan Gilbert and Nate Pearson in, in 2022 and, you know, what you think their, their ceilings are um, after, you know, okay uh, first runs in the majors. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll answer the Nate Pearson one first. Um, I'm not really expecting much this year. Um, I don't even know if the Jays know what they're getting, if, they, if he's going to be a starter, if they want to try to, stretch him out as a starter or if he's going to be sort of a high leverage closer type. I'm not sure. I just, he had the pedigree and he still throws a hundred. Um, I think his injuries are like hernia and like things that weren't really his arm I, from what I remember. So I just thought maybe it's a good post type pick in the 15th round. Um, I'm not really expecting much um, from him this year. So it's more of a like moving forward year. Sure. Uh, Logan Gilbert. I just, I wanted a pitcher. Things were getting out of hand. Everyone was slipping away. <laughs> and I, I just kind of, he's young. He did, he started off a bit bad, but then he got, he got better and kind of, I think he'll be like a 1.2 whip, nine and a half K nine, like low to mid four ERA. And if he's going to be that for, you know, 10 years, then that's, that's not going to hurt me. So he may not be an ace, um, but you know, that's why you pick prospects. You can trade for aces later. <laughs> So I want to talk about Miles Straw, who you took in the 10th round. Um, I kind of had this feeling that as we get, like from a redraft standpoint, as we get to like March, like mid-March, late March, uh, like NFBC main events, that type of thing, I have a feeling that Miles Straw is going to be someone that you have to take like – 50 spots higher than he's going right now. Um, and you might even have to take him in the first 100 picks just because of that speed he provides. Um, are you like, where is, is his ceiling maybe a little bit slept on for Roto? And I mean, this is OBP too. So he's like even better there. Uh, I just, you know, once, once we get into this range of a draft, like even a dynasty draft like this, there's just nobody else who gives you that amount of stolen base upside without hurting your OBP or your batting average. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what you see in, in redraft. You, you, after the first, whatever, eight rounds or so, there are no real speed guys out there. And so, or you'll get these empty guys. So I think Miles Straw was like one of those guys last year too, but now he, he looks like he has the job in Cleveland uh center field they had him in they had him leading off for most of the time he's 27 or so projections have him at at 30 stolen bases i think so like <laughs> as a dynasty asset maybe i wouldn't have taken him but because as you alluded to earlier i had so much power early i kind of wanted to balance it out with at least some speed like i don't know if i can count on buxton for 20 stolen bases or otani or, or for how long they'd be doing that and so just because I had such a big cushion in, in power, I thought that I could grab Miles Straw, who, like you said, is good in OBP. And if he has the full-time job in Cleveland, because they need outfielders, um, I think he'd be a good pick. 
So I think you are going to see in, in NFBC type drafts, he's going to be taken way earlier than uh, someone's going to take him. Right. I mean, it, it's like last year was a great time to, to draft him because he hadn't sort of proven himself as this reliable guy that was going to play every day and, and guys that play redraft, like everyone's so focused on like the role, the playing time, that type of thing. And now that people can kind of feel comfortable with that, that that's sort of where things might get a little out of hand with him. Um, yeah. Like I think Garrett Hampson was kind of that guy before where we thought he's going to get 30 stolen bases and he should be playing in Colorado. And then I think people got burned on that. And so they're a bit, like holding off last year on Milestrow. And so now I think I think uh, the floodgates are open. I think you should take them. So we're going to talk in a, in a few minutes about the, the prospect stuff you're doing with, with Prospects Live, but your your very first prospect uh, wasn't until the, the 12th round when you took Khalil Watson, uh, who obviously has a sky-high ceiling. Uh, what was it about Watson or maybe just the way the draft was unfolding where it was just like, this is where I'm taking my first prospect? Yeah, I mean, a lot of prospects were flying off the board and flying off way earlier than I thought they would. Um, I tend to, I tend to panic when I see like pitching going and I don't have any or prospects going and I don't have any. So I was definitely aware of how prospects were going, and I knew I needed to grab somebody with a high ceiling at least before I got stuck with sort of lower tiers. And um, it is the high ceiling. It is the high ceiling that he has. It's, I didn't want to take someone who had a high floor as my first prospect, I want, I want to kind of swing for the fences. So I had Khalil Watson there. Arelvis, I think was my next one. Kind of the same thing. I, I love the power. His exit velocities from what I've seen are, are very, very good. Uh, John Kensey Noel, same idea. They may have some contact issues, but they're young enough to hopefully, I mean, they're not horrible um, and they're young enough to, you know, kind of build on that. So I went for sort of the high ceiling type guys. So if this were a league that we were playing out, uh, you know, I think, what, were you projected first in the standings here when uh, Jordan Rosenblum ran those, or at least top three, something like that? Uh, yeah, I was top three. Uh, Jordan's in first, actually, and uh, Mike Curland in second. I'm third. So, like, you're, you obviously have a team that could compete right away if we were playing this out. Would you envision yourself holding on to – any of those prospects? Like what's your dynasty sort of strategy when it comes to like, are you going to push all in when you have that team? I mean, when you have, you know, a, a reliever like Josh Hader as your first pitcher, when you have, you know, these, these hitters who are just smack dab in the middle of their primes, are you willing to even a guy as exciting as Watson would, would he be available in trade early in the season? If you thought you had a, a pretty good look at it. Yeah, I mean, if I'm in the hunt, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. Um, so I would trade any of those guys I mentioned for sure, uh, if it makes sense. I don't know if I'd do it before the season. Like, I don't know if I'd trade Khalil Watson now for like Lance Lynn or something. Um, I would want to kind of see how the season shakes out and which pitchers are actually doing well because I think, as we all know, some pitchers are are just going to be bad. Like, you Darvish may be terrible, and you. I don't want to pick for him early or Joe, Joe Musgrove or Lance Lynn, et cetera. There's always going to be someone who doesn't do well. And there's going to be someone who pops up and, and ends up doing well, like Carlos Rodon. So I would have no hesitation in trading um, my prospects for someone that'll help me. Um, 
but I would of course balance the risk of, of, of how much it will help me and how much it may hurt me if it doesn't work out. I want to ask you quickly about uh, Luis Garcia of the Nationals, who you took in the the 17th round, because he's been someone who, you know, maybe like three, four years ago, I was really, really high on. Um, he was extremely young for the levels he was playing at in, in the upper levels of the minors. And, you know, he, he had a really nice showing at AAA last year, but as, as we've seen, you know, the gap between AAA and the majors is is pretty big. Uh, and he still hasn't quite, you know, had that run in the majors that gives you a, a ton of excitement. Um, wh where do you sort of see his career uh, going over these next couple of years? I I like him a lot. I think he's 21, so he's got so much. <laughs> he's suspiciously young. Like yeah, I... <laughs> exactly. There's just so much runway ahead of him that, like, it's not like he's 24 and it's like, does a make or break here? Like, it's not like key boom or something where it's kind of like you could see souring if it doesn't work out he's just so young um and when i took that pick made that pick i was very happy at the time and then of course they signed uh caesar hernandez right after which kind of uh threw cold water on it but I, I really think he could be special like you say he did really well in triple a he's 21 um like his numbers were off the chart using um sort of the numbers that i use that we'll talk about later prospects live like his power was was very high, even with park factors factored in, et cetera. Um, and he's not really known for power. So like I'm seeing 20 plus home runs in the majors for sure. And he's 21, meaning it's it's going to be maybe 30 at peak at some point in some 90th percentile outcome in the next eight years. So I, I, I'm very high on Luis Garcia. That's interesting. Uh, I mean, I think you can still, you could probably still trade for him um, on the cheap. I mean, you got him in the 17th round here and that was before the Cesar Hernandez signing. So um, yeah, I think that that's, he's an interesting guy to, to target uh, for our listeners. Um, do you have like one or two picks that stand out as, as maybe your favorites uh, when we kind of look back on this? Well, I like the Luis Garcia pick at the time. <laughs> um I, I kind of have picks that I, I regret, like the Kevin Biggio. I uh, I think I went way too early on that. I picked him in the 13th round. I was kind of on a post-hype uh, flyer at the time. So I was like, that's when I had the Nate Pearsons and all that. Um, another Blue Jay as well. Uh, I'm in Toronto, for, if anyone doesn't know. So the Blue Jays are my team. Um, I think Thinelson Lamette in the 18th has the potential to be good and has the potential to be terrible. But I think at the, uh, in the 18th round, I think, uh, I think it's late enough that if, even if it pans out to be a zero, it's doesn't kill me. And as we, as we alluded to, uh, you are working for prospects live now. Uh, you've developed some really exciting tools. Uh, so I just want to give you the floor to kind of explain what those are um, and how they can be used. And then, um, you know, how people can sign up and, and go get access to those. Yeah. So I am part of the prospects live dynasty uh, team with Eddie uh, and Justin Dunbar and Matt Thompson uh, kind of after Jeff Ponce left for uh Baseball America, um, there was a gap to be backfilled. And for some reason, they took a flyer on me. Um, so on Twitter, I used to post these things occasionally called the formula, where I, I basically take the minor league stats that are publicly available on Fangraphs, 
I do some tweaks um, using like historically the, the the stats that correlate best with future major league performance and like kind of generate some numbers. Um, and so that is now behind the paywall on, at Prospects Live under the name Robo Scout. And the pitching side, we call it Throbo Scout. I'm trying to get that to catch on. Um, I like it. <laughs> so it basically, it, it comes up with a number. It ranks by, at each level um, how a player's performance that year is doing. Um, right now, we're also working on uh, other correlations so that we can give a percentage number of like the chance that that player will be an above average major league hitter. Again, using historical uh, correlations and modeling, predictive modeling that way. Uh, Smata is going to be a huge help on that. He's a sort of a data management uh, R SQL wizard. Um, and then, of course, I'm very excited about Prospects Live with the uh, the Statcast data they have, so I can go even more granular and see exit velocities and contact rates and you know uh, swing percentage and the heart of the plate stuff like that. Um, and then one last tool that uh, we're working on right now, which should come out in the next month, is like sort of a comp tool. It's more of a fun thing where you can type in a player and it will find the comp, the closest comp in the minors at that level and that age uh, who had the most similar performance. And so like you maybe use that to help uh, give you guidance on what kind of career you think this guy may have. That's really cool, Dylan. Uh, where could people follow you on, on Twitter? Yeah, so my handle is the underscore underscore arrival. So two underscores. Um, long story for why that's the name. Um, but if you look up Dylan White, and you'll, you'll probably see me. I kind of have a Jose Bautista bat flip silhouette as my uh, avatar. Um, and then uh, sign up to the Patreon on Prospects Live, and you'll get uh, regular content even through the offseason. Awesome, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to join me and uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll catch up soon. For sure. Thanks for having me. And thanks for inviting me to the mock. It was great. Of course. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are going to be joined by Chris Clegg here in a second uh, from Fangrass, but first, a minute from our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. 
Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions, and even more so, making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcasts. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette. Double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. All right. Uh, as promised, we are joined now by Chris Clegg from Fantrax. Chris, how are you doing? Hi, James. It's good to be on with you, man. Good to be talking. And had a great time with this Dynasty mock, and now we get to discuss it. So I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. Um, I'm I'm probably at about eighty percent right now. Uh, had had my booster shot yesterday. Oh man, recovering from that, and also uh, the coffee maker in in our house broke a couple of days ago <laughs> so I'm, I'm really scrambling here but um really excited that you're able to join me and and participate in this mock uh you were picking fifth and you ended up with Bo Bichette uh and then you got Sandy Alcantara in the second you know I love that one uh Teoscar Hernandez in the third Max Fried in the fourth Josh Young in the fifth Austin Meadows in the sixth and on and on uh what was your 
strategy coming into this? You knew you were picking fifth. Um, yeah, I think Bo Bichette is probably the, the consensus pick there. Uh, did you have any thoughts of, of going a different direction there? Um, did you have any thoughts of, you know, maybe going young or trying to win right away? What was your general strategy? Yeah, so in general, in a dynasty draft, I always go in looking to to win right away, but keep it semi-young. And so, yeah, the, the kind of the consensus and my assumption would be those first four picks were those the first four picks that happened in this draft and, you know, in, in any order, I guess. And so especially in the OBP format, uh, Soto is that guy. Um, so, yeah, Bichette was there. I, I considered going a couple ways. You know, Trey Turner was definitely an option that I considered there. Um, but ultimately, with Bichette's age, just ended up going that way. Like to start young, and obviously Bichette being a young five-tool player, and honestly returning similar value to Trey Turner last season. Kind of love getting him there, even though he's you know not the, the highest OBP guy. I still think it's a a solid floor to start on. So, yeah, there was certainly some consideration, but you know I couldn't pass up Bo there in that spot, getting the shortstop spot filled, five-category guy. And, and young, and I, you can build from that. And, you know, definitely with the idea to win now, I thought he was a, a great pick to start with there in that, that fifth overall slot. And then, you know, Sandy in the second, uh, a up-and-coming ace who's already kind of proven that he can handle a full season. Um, was that a an easy call for you there? I mean, pitchers were flying off the board, Uh you know, what, what was you thinking with that one? Yeah, that was – I definitely wanted to go pitcher in the second round, knowing that I wanted to contend and build a team that could win now, and especially with the way they were going. You know, DeGrom went off 15th and Burns 17th, but in the second round, they really started going like crazy. Bueller, Cole, Bieber, Woodruff, and Julio Urias all went. You know, I was really hoping that maybe get a Bieber or Woodruff there in that spot, even though I knew it wasn't very likely. I mean, I knew that – DeGrom, Burns, Bueller, Cole were probably all gone by the time it came back to me because that was 36th overall pick. And so, yeah, with, with Alcantara, I mean, you get a younger guy. He's 26 years old and just turned 26, actually, at the end of the season. So he has plenty of life in his arm ahead of him, and he made major strides this season. And even towards the end of the season, we saw the strikeout rate tick up with that slider usage. So there's a lot to like there. I mean, I considered Nola, but again – I don't know. I've always been a big Nola guy, but at the same time, with the direction both guys are kind of going, you know, Contra was was that pick for me, and I knew that guys after me also. So that's part of knowing the room. Like a couple guys behind me, I knew liked Alcantara, and I thought there's no way he made it back ten picks later in the third round. So it's like I knew I had to go that way if I wanted him. So I went ahead and take him, and sure enough, in the I, I think George Rodo Nino uh, put in the draft chat that he was hoping to get him there. So. Felt like that was the right pick, and then especially got some validation after that. Yeah, it was kind of annoying for me on a couple levels because uh, I would have loved to have ended up with Sandy or Jazz or Austin Riley in the third, but because you took Sandy there, George took Jazz in the second, and then he took Austin Riley in the third, and so I, I didn't get any of the three. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, I can't, can't fault you for that. Um, I mean, he's Sandy's even getting pushed. I think, I think George took him in the second round of a redraft league recently. So, yeah, um, factor in the age, uh, like you said, uh, the fact that he sort of seems to just 
be continuously getting just a little bit better every year. Uh, really exciting uh, young pitcher. And then, you know, Teoscar, was that a, an easy call? Were you, were you between a couple guys there? Well, and, you know, I was actually considering taking Austin Riley in the second in that spot. So it was between like Sandy, Austin Riley. I was looking at both those, even Trevor Story. And I thought that Riley had the best shot to make it back to me. And so that's why I passed there and went Alcantara. But then obviously Riley didn't go, or Riley, Riley went before I, it came back to me in the third. And Story went as well. You know, even having two shortstops there, I think Story wouldn't have been a bad idea. You, you filled middle infield spot, but you know, Story could potentially play third base or second base, which would be interesting depending on where he goes. But yeah, when it got there, kind of was debating that that wasn't an easy pick just because there are a couple factors of, of the guys that I wanted going right before that. And even though I'm a big T Oscar fan, I think the strides that he's he's made are legit. So I still like it. It kind of didn't completely fit from an age standpoint, even though he's not old by any means. I think he's what 29 years old. So he still kind of fits the younger but win now team. Yeah, he'll he just turned 29 actually in October. So a little older than I wanted to go. I'd love to keep the average age down a little more. But at that point, when you start Bo and Sandy, I knew I needed outfield because in a five outfielder league, outfield dries up really quickly. And then getting the guy that can still contribute across the board. I think he'll he'll put up solid OBPs. He's going to steal you some bags and has plenty of power. The runs in RBI are going to be enormous in that lineup. So I like that pick, but it definitely wasn't an easy one considering at that point in the draft, when you're getting around in the 40 to 50 range, you can go a lot of directions. I think there's a lot of talent there and you see the guys that went after like Starling Marte, who was a little older, but the speeds there, um, Tim Anderson also being a talent, Byron Buxton, even, and then you could pitcher, you took Wheeler there. So that's obviously a great win now pitcher. So there's a lot of talent. So it wasn't an easy pick, but at the end of the day, like I just feel like that, fit the team best, provided a need, and help contribute across the board. And your SP2, uh, Max Freed, I mean, that's that's a heck of an SP2 in a 20-team dynasty league. Um, I even ended up with him as my SP1 in a 15-team redraft league I, I recently did. Uh, do you think people – like, do you think we've seen the best of Max Freed? Because I've, I've heard people, like – label him like a number two starter, mid-rotation starter. Like to me, there might be, I feel like there's a, another level there if, if he can get a, a full, you know, 180 season in. Yeah, and I think, I think that certainly a possibility. I mean, we saw how good the second half was last year and he was absolutely dominant. And yeah, he struggled a little bit in the postseason, but he came back in and dazzled in the World Series. So you know, there's no complaints there at all. You know, as a Braves fan, happy to see what he did, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, we saw the potential. And post-All-Star break, he had a 174 ERA over 14 starts, 93 innings. And what's, I think, significant is the innings differential because he started 14 games before the All-Star break and pitched just 72 innings. But the 14 starts after the All-Star break, 93 innings, which is encouraging. Seeing that tick up is, is great. And then the strikeouts also ticking up. Obviously still a little below a strikeout per nine, but the whip's so good. I mean, kept his walks down substantially and I think the biggest hindrance with him will be the strikeout rate so if the strikeout rate can tick up a little bit then it's highly possible that he takes that next step I still have him SB2 territory but I won't be surprised to take see him take the next step at all and you know I mean he had a 304 ERA last year and even with that poor first half so 
You know, I think he's could pitch to a, a 3-3 RA next season, 180 innings. If you see the strikeout rate get close to an inning, like a strikeout per nine, then that's borderline SP1 in my opinion. So, you know, looking at it though, I kind of wish I had gone with Logan Webb. He went two picks later. Um, honestly, like at that point, you know, I was kind of out on Logan Webb at the price, but later on, like I was doing some more deep dive into Webb and I'm like, I really like Webb. I probably would have taken him over Freed if I had to do it over again, but I'm happy either way. I'm happy with Max Freed. So you, you're a Atlanta fan. Do you have any insight into what was different for him in the first half and the second half? Um, not in particular. I, you know, I don't know what exactly was going on, but the you know first half Max Freed obviously wasn't who he is in my opinion. So the pitch mix stayed pretty similar for the most part. I mean, we saw in August that the slider usage dropped a little bit, but then it was back up in September. Um, everything stayed pretty similar. So I honestly don't have a great answer to that as to what changed, but obviously maybe it was a mental thing. And obviously I think that's an underrated aspect of the game is that we kind of discount guys going through things mentally. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's just a little off in the first half and, something clicked and he got back going because everything lines up pretty similarly. Like Velo stayed similar all season, pitch mix very similar. So not a lot changed, but obviously the results changed a ton. And your fifth round pick, uh, Josh Young, um, you know, I love, love that value. Uh, what went into the, the thinking there? Did it, I mean, you know, I, I've mentioned before that um, for dynasty, at least like third base, there's just not a ton in terms of guys who are like under 30 and you can feel pretty good about, especially after those, those first like five guys are gone. Did that play into it? Were you just loving the idea of, of getting this guy who's, who's big league ready essentially? Yeah. And that's, that's really a big factor is the position scarcity. And you know, that's something obviously is notable for redraft leagues is how shallow third base is. And for dynasty purposes, it's, very similar. I mean, you look at some of the guys that are, are solid third basemen for dynasty purposes and, you know, like Jose Ramirez, Devers, they're first round guys. Bregman, you know, I don't really know what to make of Bregman. I think he bounces back some. Obviously, I like Riley. I mentioned I wanted to get him. But for Young, I mean, he's going to contribute right away, in my opinion. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he cracks the opening day roster, depending on, you know, what happens with the CBA. And there's such a high floor here. And I did get some questions on Twitter about taking him this high, but I mean, he's a solid floor type player that I don't think we've seen the best from yet. I think the power's still blossoming. He's a solid contact hitter. That's going to hit for average. And that floor just really makes him attractive. And obviously knowing the other guys in the room, like you are high on him and looking at the options left, it's like, you know, if I'm building a team to win now, you know, my options later after, after this point were Moncada and Arenado who Arenado's older, not really keen on him and Moncada, you know, he's such a wild card at this point. I'd rather take the chance on a younger Josh Young and, and see where that goes, especially because I think that we haven't seen the best from him. There's solid potential here and a solid floor as well. So, yeah, a lot of factors from the position scarcity to just seeing him develop as a, a player, I think, and getting contribution right away. So all those things kind of went into it there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you get 
Spencer Torkelson and Adley Rutschman going in the third round and you get Josh Young going in the fifth round. I mean, I think that that, that was fine value, great value. Um, you took Austin Meadows in the sixth. And I think the interesting thing about that one is like if we were doing this a year ago or two years ago, Austin Meadows probably goes in the second. Um, are you sort of taking him with the idea of like, this is who he is, but he's still pretty good and, and still pretty young. Do you think he can get back to, to where he was in, in 2019 at all? Yeah. You know, I don't know if we see him back at that level again, but again, he had, he actually had the identical plate appearances this year in 2019 at 591, hit 33 home runs in 2019, 27 this year. So I see him as a close to 30 type guy. Maybe we don't see him steal the bases as much anymore. Still 12 in 19 and four this year, but you know, I think he's a, a five to eight type steel guy and you kind of look at the numbers and I could easily see the batting average going back up there. There's a clear flaw in what's going on with him. In my opinion, it's just the fly ball rate is just so high and he doesn't really have the, the exit velocities to hit that many fly balls, like a Joey Gallo type guy. And so I'd really like to see him hit, get back to hitting some more line drives. I think that'll drive the batting average back up. And I think that that's totally fixable in the swing. Um, and with that case, I think the OBP goes back up. We saw him have a 364 OBP back in 2019. So I'd say there's a strong chance he rebounds. You know, I don't think he gets back to that level, but I think a 25, 30 home run five to seven stolen base with a, a 340 OBP is a reasonable expectation. And obviously being in a good lineup, he has a chance to have plenty of RBI and score plenty of runs. So yeah, I, you know, this was this is the point of the draft where it kind of got tough for me with which way to go. But with with the age still, he's he's 26 years old. So kind of fit the narrative of win now and also still be semi young. I applaud you going with Jose Altuve in the seventh. Uh, he does not fit the age narrative. But, you know, I think if you look at all the players who went in the seventh round, uh, I'd probably take Jose Altuve over all of them just for 2022. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I, how do you, how do you see his skill set aging? Well, it's certainly interesting. I mean, that type of body, I mean, smaller type guy who gets to power that we don't normally see with that, with that kind of frame, but he's continued to make it work. Uh, still 31 years old. So like you mentioned, he'll be going into age 32 season. Doesn't fit the rest of the team, but from a win now standpoint, I think that, he easily fits it, especially at that value going at pick 125. I mean, you have a hard time passing him up, especially with what's on the board, looking at the second base position as well. Like, yeah, there's there's several guys later on that I like but don't love. And I think especially over the next couple of years, you think you can expect Altuve to continue to be that type of player that he's been where, you know, he's going to hit for solid power and give you solid OBP. And obviously that lineup's so good that he's going to, have plenty of run RBI opportunities. So, yeah, I have no hesitation taking him in that spot in a dynasty draft, especially if you're going win now. Because like you mentioned, you look at the rest of the board in that round, and I don't really see any other names that like I'm in love with there. So Altuve fit the team well, addressed a positional need in a semi-shallower position. So, yeah, I, I really like it looking back now as a, as a win now team. Chris, you took – big leaguers then um, with your next uh, from round eight to round 18. Uh, and then you took a, your, your 
first kind of far off prospect in Reggie Preciado in the 19th round. Do you have any favorite picks from that, that run of big leaguers that we haven't touched on yet? Um, looking through it, I like Jared Walsh in the next round. I think Walsh is kind of undervalued at first base, uh, solid OBP numbers, good power as well. So that obviously hits the first base position and in a deeper league, like a 20 team league, you know, it's important to get these guys. And I think depth also matters so much too. So when you have these solid big league contributors, that really can set you apart in a dynasty league. So that's what I was going for here. Um, didn't love the value on some of the prospects, especially with my team build. So it kind of just hammered the MLB guys, like you mentioned, then went with a couple more pitchers, got my SP3 in Framber Valdez and SP4 in Chris Bassett. Again, Bassett doesn't necessarily fit the age narrative of the team, but with where he's going and with how consistent he is a starter, like you can expect solid value, I think, for 2022 and maybe even into 2023, going right around pick 200. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel is another one that I expect him to rebound. He finished the season strong. And looking at a position of need in the outfield, I mentioned that five outfielder league, it kind of bottoms out quickly. So getting Gurriel as an outfield three feels okay there. Uh, a couple of these guys also like rebound type guys like Aaron Savale, who I think can bounce back. Avisel Garcia, obviously a really solid season last year. He, he's a little older. I think he's just 30, though hitting the outfield again. Honestly, the favorite pick might be John Means. And I even expect some John Means regression because, you know, I wonder how much of a sticky substance guy he was because we saw a clear line between who he was before the substance crackdown and then coming back after. I know he had some some injury as well. But so I think Means can be a solid arm, you know, as an SP seven. Is that what I got him? SP seven? Like that just feels like really good value. And I'm not like in looking at a dynasty draft, like I'm not going to take closers early at all. I'll take my shots later. And I actually didn't take a reliever at all in these first 30 picks. So, you know, I'll beef up on some, some starting pitcher and give me plenty of depth. So if I had a favorite, probably John means in the 15th round. Yeah. And, and in a 20 team league, you know, the, uh, the bar for a guy to clear from a ratio standpoint is still bring value to the table um is is lower um and as we've kind of alluded to this you are sort of set to win now you mentioned you don't have any any saves on the roster yet but if we were playing out this league do you think that guys like Preciado and Trey Sweeney and Pete Crow Armstrong would those guys be guys that you'd be shopping or, or just kind of have available in trade talks in like April and May to kind of shore up any weaknesses, just given the fact that you do have a team that is kind of ready to compete now. Yeah. And I think that's the aspect of dynasty is using prospects as trade chips, because I think that at some point, you know, teams will fall out of it and teams will look to sell off win now pieces. So those guys that are further off, like a, a Preciado, even though, you know, I'm a big fan of him and I think that, you know, his best, his highest value is yet to come. You know, I'm still open to trading that type of player. And that's kind of where I went with the prospects. And, you know, we saw a lot of obviously talented prospects go early, but with the prospects that I drafted, I really felt like those were kind of the more upside type guys that could really see their value skyrocket over the next several years. And so I kind of went that way from the standpoint of, of trade value as well. And guys that I'm a fan of, you know, even while I don't have a ton of prospects, there's there's the intrigue in all these guys, I think, that could be valuable trade chips. So, yeah, 
more than open to dealing those type of players in the right win now move. So after going through this exercise, um, I think it was, it was nice because we had, you know, 20 different managers who were kind of all coming at this thing from, from a different standpoint. Uh, was there anything you, you, you probably, you know, had some surprises. Um, if someone was doing a startup dynasty draft later this off season, what advice would you have uh, to give for them? Well, my philosophy in, in a startup draft is always to, to approach it to win because in my opinion, you never know when a league is going to fold. Like, it, you know, a dynasty league could always fold in a year or two if guys drop out and you, you can't replace them. So I'm always looking to win. And I'm always looking for the solid values. And I think there's solid values across the board because everybody wants the young, talented prospects because there's upside there. But in a dynasty draft, I think there's upside with veterans. They get highly undervalued. So those guys typically fall in the mid to later rounds, and I think you can find the value on them. And I think that's kind of the case with like a John Means that we saw fall. And A.J. Pollock, who, while he doesn't have a ton of life left in him, I think can provide some solid value and help a team win now. So I think there's more upside in the veterans than we give them credit for. And it's not always about building the flashy team. It's about building a team that gives you the innings, gives you the plate appearance, especially when you're competing to win. And I also think you can find the values and prospects if you if you know where to look. And like I mentioned, I mean, I didn't start with a prospect until the 19th round. And I still feel like I got some very talented upside guys like Preciado, who I think could make a jump. I'm a big fan of Trey Sweeney, Pete Crow Armstrong. I think if he had stayed healthy all last year, I wouldn't surprise be surprised to see him in like, you know, top 30 prospects potentially if he if he performs solid. Eddie's Leonard, Harry Ford. Those are the high upside prospects that I'm big fans of that I think could really make the moves. So there's always those guys later. And I think, honestly, again, it's just kind of avoiding the pitching prospects from a standpoint because there's always pitching prospects later that are talented because we saw so many pop up this year. So many talented pitching prospects came up. And, yeah, you can pay up for the the Grayson Rodriguez and those types, which is fine, and they're, they're very talented. But I'm more than willing to wait on those types until later in the draft if I'm building to win now. And that's, that's the way I'll always go in a dynasty draft is trying to win. Yeah. You and I had a very similar attack on the prospect front where our, we have seven bench spots and all seven of those bench spots are hitting prospects. Um, And I, I didn't take a pitching prospect either. Before I let you go, uh, do you want to let people know where they can find your work and and what you got going on over at yeah, Fantrax? Sure. Yep. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RotoCleg, C-L-E-G-G. All my work over at Fantrax. I do the Fantrax Toolshed podcast with Eric Cross. So I cover Dynasty, Prospects, even starting doing a little redraft stuff. We're adding a second episode a week to look at some more redraft stuff as well. Kind of hit that as well. And you know all my written work at Fantrax HQ as well doing a lot of dynasty stuff. I do the OBP rankings over there. So OBP for prospects and dynasty ranks and doing all kinds of articles. So doing articles from redraft dynasty prospects and, and right now walking through for redraft, looking at uh, kind of positional primers position by position, looking at, you know, some 
targets, looking at the depth of these positions and all that sort of stuff to really dive in to to try to evaluate where's the best place to draft these these players by position in redraft league. So it's kind of what I got going on right now. And again, everything's at Fantrax, Roto Clegg on Twitter. Thanks a lot, Chris. I'll yeah. talk to you soon. Yep. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, our next guest is Lucas Beery, who uh, was kind enough to, to take part in the mock. Uh, Lucas uh, does his own uh podcast does some work at fantasy dgens and dr roto lucas how you doing i'm doing well today james i'm doing well very kind of you to ask me to join the mock and, and to have me on to share a few thoughts today yeah of course man um so you were you were picking sixth and you went with bryce harper there uh pete alonzo in the second tim anderson in the third jesse winker in the fourth Fran Mil Reyes in the fifth. Uh, so you didn't take a you didn't take a pitcher until um, round thirteen with Sonny Gray, which seems like a pretty good value. What was your general strategy heading into this thing? Uh, was was Harper uh, who you expected to end up with at six, and then what was sort of your thought process for for the rest of your early picks? Yeah, so Harper at six, um, as you can tell, I kind of went a little bit younger with my roster. So Harper's going to be 29 next year, It's or 29 now. It's a little bit older than I would like, but at the same time, a 400 on base and 35-plus bombs, solid rock right there. Um, and, and after the first five guys, uh, it opens up. So I felt Harper was a solid, uh, very safe and reliable choice there, and uh, my strategy was very simple. Um, I was looking to go for a year two and try to load up with as many bats as possible uh, for trade value whenever I need to uh, pick up some pitching. Uh, of course, everyone is going to look for bats if uh, they get out of it. And um, that was pretty much where I went. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and again, this is um, with OBP in mind. And I think uh, in that scenario, Harper is is probably the, the clear pick there at six once, you know, those big four and, and Boba Shed are gone. Um, Pete Alonzo, I, I'll be honest. I, so I took Matt Olson um, with my second round pick uh, three picks before you, I was between Alonzo and Olson there. Uh, that was a really tough call. Um, was Alonzo an easy call for you in the second, or was there anyone else that you were considering there? It was, um, I mean, there was so much talent available. You could have gone in so many different directions. So uh, I personally wouldn't necessarily say easy, but I'm really looking for as many MLB contributors as possible in my early picks, just guys that I can rely on um, in their prime. And Alonzo is, in my opinion, a very safe and, and steady option, uh, potential to hit 40 home runs again. And even if he's just 38 to 30, 35 to 38, that'll that'll do the trick, I think. And then Tim Anderson, the third, uh, was that a target or was that perhaps just a looking at what you already had on the roster in Harper and Alonzo and looking at the, the stats that Anderson's going to provide and it, it just ended up being a, a nice fit with what you already had on the roster? Yeah, with, with Anderson there in the third, he is just 
to go along with Harper and Alonzo. It's such a safe uh, setup, in my opinion. I know people will not love the plate discipline, but similar to Javi Baez, when you have that much uh, hit tool talent, I mean, I think you can just make it work. Um, so just with his track record of hitting 300 uh, three consecutive years and adding in some home runs and steals, I mean, it's a five-category con- five contributor in the third round at age 28 for Anderson. Uh, pretty uh, pretty solid pick there. And he, there's guys with more upside below him, of course, like Byron Buxton and uh, perhaps Mullins could have more upside, but the safety of Anderson was the big allure for me. And then – Jesse Winker, um, I feel like, you know, I feel like he's a little underrated, uh, undervalued, especially just from redraft uh, results that I've seen. Um, But, I mean, again, this is OBP. Uh, Jesse Winker is an OBP monster. Um, Was that, and, you know, someone that you had thought about you know, a few rounds before this, like, was this, is this a guy that you were not surprised to end up with or were there other, other guys that you were torn between there and the fourth? Yeah. Winker is definitely a huge target for me and on base percentage. Um, obviously he's had a really good hit tool and really strong walk rates. And then the past year and, and in 2020, his powers just exploded. Um, so he, I believe he fell because there's some health concerns around Winker, which are fairly valid. But considering the fact that he's 28 and he's just going to be able to hit every day in that lineup, uh, it's not like you're taking a pitcher there with health, health risks. So I'm willing to wave those by with Winker and, and hope that he can play 145-plus games. And then you got some more power with Framiel Reyes in the fifth. Um, when you're going along this this whole thing, was there any point where there was a pitcher that tempted you um, or were you kind of just thinking best hitter available, best hitter available and just, just keep rolling um, in these, these early rounds? That's exactly right. I was really looking for best hitter available and there were definitely some excellent pitching values, but um, I just really wasn't focused in on that until my offensive base was solidly built up. And you followed up Fran Mill with Dansby Swanson, which I think is, is great value there in the sixth round. I mean, there, there's definitely a theme here, right? You're getting guys in their mid to late 20s um, in the middle of their prime who are going to produce, who are going to play every day. Uh, and then you switch things up a little bit and go with Marco Luciano in the seventh. Uh, your first prospect, um, but you would end up taking prospects then in the ninth and the tenth as well. Uh, what kind of led you to to make Luciano your your first prospect there in the seventh round? Yeah, so this was a, a as you can tell, my first six picks were all pretty similar. Just the the major league established regulars with with a little bit of upside, and I felt as if the quality of the MLB regulars started to drop off enough. So I was comfortable going for a high upside prospect in Luciano. I do understand there's been some questions of if he's going to run at all. I doubt that he will, but it's possible. And the high strikeouts are a bit concerning, but I am betting a a bit on the talent with Luciano. Hopefully he can have a bounce back year next year. And uh, of course, I think that he could be very tradable as well um, since he can have a bit of a bounce back. So you do, you do have all these 
prime hitters. Um, and while you didn't use any high picks on pitching, I mean, you did get um, some capable starting pitchers in Sonny Gray. And then you had Jordan Montgomery in the 17th, Alex Wood in the 18th, uh, you know, another steady guy in Marco Gonzalez in the 21st. If we were playing out this league, would you be looking at this roster and saying, I think I have what it takes to win in year one, and therefore a guy like Luciano or a guy like Alec Thomas or, or Jason Dominguez, these guys are all um, likely to be used as trade bait? Or when you wait that long on pitching, are you thinking more about winning the league in year two? More than likely, I would try to win in year two. Um but it all kind of depends on how the standings are rolling out. I think it would take a lot of luck for this team to be a true contender. So I wouldn't go that far, but if it, if it was competitive, I wouldn't necessarily be afraid to uh, move some of the more premium prospects that I was able to draft. What's your take on, uh, on Alec Thomas? Because he's certainly of, of the three prospects you took early He's the one that we're probably going to see in the majors uh, in 2022. Um, he's someone that I've been uh, too low on in the past. And obviously he was hitting in a pretty favorable environment at AAA last year. But uh, what's your what's your analysis on, on what people can expect from Thomas? And what do you think he could bring to the table uh, in 2022? Yeah, one of Thomas's selling points uh, to my roster, well, not only is outfield just insanely tough to fill in these 20-teamers with five outfield spots, so that was an attractive selling point for Thomas, is that I think he will have a chance to play uh, for the Diamondbacks next year. The the on-base percentage talent is there. Um, the power is a bit of a question for me, but I think that he can uh, be serviceable possibly right from the jump. Maybe it takes him a year to uh, become that player. The thing that uh, did concern me a little bit was the inefficient base stealing. Uh, that was not great, but I think that uh, his on-base percentage and um, I think the talent with the bat can can get him an opportunity to play next year, in addition to the fact that the Diamondbacks do have openings um, if they're willing to make David Peralta more of a bench bat. What's your take on Brendan Rodgers? Because I, I feel like um, he's he's definitely got some redraft appeal to me uh, when you factor in the park. And I would think the playing time should be there, although there have been uh, those weird reports that they might try to re-sign Trevor Story. And, I mean, you can never fully trust the Rockies, but uh, – do you see him kind of picking up where he left off last year? I mean, he was a solid hitter last year, and if you put that over a full season, it's it's quite valuable. Or do you see even another level there for Rodgers? Rodgers is uh, a bit of a target for me in redraft, and I think some people are underweighting the value, of course. So there is a lot to like as far as that goes on top of a, a really strong hit tool. Not a big walker, obviously, so that's going to put a, a – limited upside on the on base uh, the I think you if you can play 140 games I would imagine maybe a 275 batting average with a 330 on base and maybe around 20 to 22 home runs 
uh, hitting hopefully in the heart of that Rockies order. The question for his value here is going to be what happens on the stolen base front. Hasn't stolen a base in a couple of years now, back to 2018, but he did uh, he did have a goal of, of stealing a lot of bags before the year started, and he got hit with that hamstring injury. So it's a little bit of a wild card, but the fact that I believe he'll play, I think that he'll maintain value for a while, considering the fact he's only 25 and should hopefully hit in the heart of the Rockies order. And in the 11th round and the 12th round, you got two guys who um, maybe aren't that like exciting in, in Heimer Candelario and Andrew Benintendi, but we're talking about two guys in their mid-20s with everyday playing time. Uh, you locked up your, your third baseman in Candelario, and, I mean, really – the third baseman that had been getting taken prior to him, uh, you know, they all kind of came with either question marks in terms of being prospects or just being maybe over the hill a little bit. Um, so I thought that was nice that you got Candelario there in the 11th to lock up third base. And then Benintendi, you know, he's not super flashy, but again, he's, he's going to play every day. Uh, were those guys targets for you or were those kind of just value picks? I, yeah, Benintendi was certainly a target. Uh, I'm pretty optimistic about his chance uh, to – it's not a full five-category type thing, but I think he'll provide enough power to not be a negative in his spot and a chance for double-digit steals with, with strong plate skills. So I think he's a target in Dynasty and in Redraft. And Candelario, I would argue the same. Now, Candelario doesn't really have anything that – he's not a sexy player. Um, but I think that he's a very firm and solid player. And uh, one of the upsides with him in Dynasty is, as we've seen with Nick Castellanos, if he can get out of Detroit, uh, there could be some potential for more power. Now, I wouldn't bank on that, but that's just something to maybe keep in the back of your head. Yeah, I saw Clay Link tweeted the other day about the uh, the doubles leaders over the past couple of seasons, and Candelario's up there in um, some pretty nice company. Uh, so yeah, the I think there is more there uh, in the home run department that he's shown, but even just the player he is, you know, mm-hmm. especially in an OBP league. Um, same with Ben Intendi, um, really rock solid. Uh, you know, Lucas, I think you're you did really well in terms of just getting getting in on prospects at the right time in the draft because you know Jordan Lawler in the 14th, Christian Hernandez in the 15th. And then even Henry Davis in the 16th, Henry Davis was someone I'd been uh, kind of playing chicken with. I had him near the top of my queue for a while and and just didn't take him in time. Um, but like Lawler and Hernandez, and then you throw in the fact that you also have Luciano and, and Dominguez. I mean, those are four guys where, you know, there's, there's a ton of upside there uh, and they could end up being massive trade chips. So, what would be your sort of, but they're also, they're all fairly far away from the majors. So let's say you are trying to win in year two and, you know, I wouldn't expect all four of those guys to have good 2022 seasons, but let's say two or three of them really in, increase their stock and they're, they're starting to look like, you know, top 10, top 15 prospects. Are you going to be able to pull the trigger on shopping those guys? Do you maybe pick one or two to, to shop and you, you hold the other two because I feel like, you know, if, if those guys start, you know, making good on their, their promise in 2022, 
they are going to have that high um, trade value, but it's also going to be tough to, to part with them. Absolutely. It's always uh, easier said than done than to, to trade away some of your, your big names as far as those guys that have so much value and hype. Uh, Henry Davis, to start with him, I'm not a catcher. I'm not an invest in catcher kind of guy, but with him being such an advanced bat and being a college bat, I think there's a chance I would be willing to wait on him. Um, you never know, but uh, could do that. With Christian Hernandez, I think he would probably be the easiest to trade since he's a bit further away. Obviously, he has drawn some some pretty wild uh, Alex Rodriguez comps. I don't put much stock into that, but maybe some other managers might. And, of course, everyone wants to get a young, uh, a high upside bat. So uh, Hernandez would, would probably be the most likely to be traded. And then Jordan Lawler, um, I I know some people are concerned about the shoulder issue, and it is nothing to be taking lightly, but, uh, I mean, I think he's in consideration for a top two or three pick in FYPD. And uh, as as, all, as most dynasty managers know, um, those guys, they just carry a special value. So I thought that uh, he could rise in terms of trade value moving forward. Yeah, and for reference, uh, like Marcelo Mayer went in the 10th round, and so you got – Lawler in the 14th, Hernandez in the 15th, Henry Davis in the 16th. I mean, I would say Meyer, Lawler, and Davis are top five first-year player draft guys. So that just kind of, you know, um, solidifies that that value that I was referring to. And then, like, with Hernandez and Dominguez and Luciano, like, extremely high risk, right? But you're also talking about the three guys who are the top international prospects in their respective classes uh, over the last three years. Um, so, I mean, it's, that's an exciting collection uh, of young players there. Um, do you have any, Oh, actually, I, I got to ask you about Matt McLean um, because I, I wasn't sure when to take McLean. Um, I knew that I wanted him. He was someone that I was certainly targeting, uh, was he a target for you? Um, because that, that one you did, you did kind of snipe me on. Yeah. I, I was uh, in the 20th round. <laughs> Funny enough with McLean, um, I don't really follow these guys in college and in high school as, as much as other people, but uh, once they do get drafted, I'll try to dive in as much as I can. And um, I had heard you and Clay on, on a recent show talk about McLean and it seemed like there was no weaknesses there. It seemed like a solid hit tool enough speed ability to hopefully stick up the middle. Obviously I had to slot uh, Marco Luciano in my corner since I pretty much go for short stops as much as I can. So uh, McLean, it just didn't seem like had much of a weakness other than maybe uh, power, but uh, I think that's something he can grow into. So hearing you talk about him, um, it seemed like he pretty much checked all the boxes that I was looking for. So I was excited to, to land him here when a lot of the other prospects uh, had went. Yeah, I mean it, that that's exactly right. Like I I was doing his outlook for the site and I was just like you know, this guy is he's a he's a no doubt top 10 guy from this this for first year player draft for me just because um I mean you you definitely love the the landing spot too. I mean, I think the power he's one of those guys where I think people overrate the lack of power like I think it, you know, he's not going to be a 30 homer guy but as long as he's a 15 to 20 homer guy, then I think you're, you're golden with him. Um, I may, I may be a, a little bit off here, but 
I mean, if you could get even a profile kind of like a Chris Taylor for uh, yeah. a big portion of his 20s, I mean, you'll take that. Oh, yeah. And there's going to be all kinds of playing time available to him uh, in Cincinnati. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a great get. Uh, did you have a, one or two picks that sort of stood out as your favorites um, from this, this whole draft for, for, for your team? Yeah, we kind of hit on we kind of hit on them previously with Jordan Lawler. I just think that possibly a year from now, who knows? But I think that there's a chance he could be going a lot higher. Now he could struggle, and I could be completely wrong. But I thought that was a, a player that I could possibly see the trade value rise on pretty quickly. Yeah, I I think you might end up being right about that one. Um, Lucas, do you have? Was there any? Thing that maybe you learned in this mock or that you would have as like a takeaway for anyone who is uh, set to do a, a dynasty startup draft. Yeah. So I, uh, I did, I read your article on kind of a write-up with uh, the, some of the different dynasty thoughts. And, and one thing that you had put in there was uh, that you don't want to go overboard on your pitching, but there's a chance I might've gone a little bit underboard here. So I, I may not have taken enough pitching. Um, if you were to change out one of my, uh, first six or seven picks, uh, into a pitcher there, I think that would have possibly made my team a little bit more ready to go for 2023. Uh, so that was kind of one thing that I would change, but to answer your question more, uh, I would try to kind of avoid pitching, um, as much as you can. I know in a year one, a lot of people do want to win, but we've, we've seen these uh, draft boards a year after and. Oftentimes the worst values that I, I see are pitchers where sometimes you can buy a little bit high on them or if they just get hurt. I just think that there's just so much more risk with pitching. I think when in doubt, just trying to stick with your bats as much as possible because you'll be able to trade for pitching and uh, you'll be able to get a good price on your pitching since people won't want to hold on to it in a rebuilding situation. Yeah, no, I think that that is, that's fair. I mean, when you, when you hit on a, a pitcher, in the, the the fifth or sixth round or whatever, and and it turns out that they they end up becoming like a reliable ace. That's you know doesn't get much better than that. But mm-hmm. uh, you can very easily just take a take a big zero um, with guys in that range as well. Uh, Lucas, I really appreciate you joining me. Do you want to let people know where they can follow along with your work? Yeah, feel free to follow me on Twitter at lucasberry33. Um, I do writing for Fantasy DGens, a site owned by uh, Casey Bubba, friend of the show. So I'll be having uh, some articles there throughout the winter and off season. Um, and I also do a bit of writing on drrodo.com. It's a website that just got uh, lifted up off the ground this uh, late summer. A lot of football content over there. I know that's not necessarily your audience, but it could be. Um, and we do plenty of, I do MLB DFS over there. And all sorts of content, whether it's esports or you know NBA DFS. So feel free to check that out, and uh, that's where you'll be able to find the majority of my work. That's awesome, man. Uh, really appreciate you joining me, Lucas, and we'll uh, talk soon, hopefully. Absolutely. Thank you again. Yep. All right. Last but not least, uh, Mark Berry from Baseball Prospectus. Uh, Mark, we you were originally going to be the leadoff hitter. Now you're now you're hitting in the five hole. So 
your your lack of speed is is not as big of a weakness now. You're just gonna have to to drive in some runs. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It was um, it was a little bit jarring to get dropped in the lineup um, without any uh, any sample size to point to. But um, yeah, I'm glad we could work it out, and um, looking forward to talking to this. This was a, a really fun draft to be a part of. Yeah, and you you were picking eleventh. Uh, um, you took Wander Franco there, and then you followed that up uh, with some established. Um, Big leaguers and Brandon Woodruff, Christian Yelich, Jose Barrios, Yon Mancada, Trent Grisham, Blake Snell. Um, going into this thing, uh, what was your general strategy for how you're going to construct this roster? Um, so I think with some of the mocks, I like to not have anything concrete and just be flexible with the um, with the strategy and the ability to kind of go in a bunch of different ways with the roster. Um, it doesn't always work out for me, and I would rather make mistakes in the mock than uh, when it comes draft time. So I, I think that I definitely made some uh, missteps here. But um, yeah, another thing, I just kind of wanted to go young-ish in the first round. And when Wander Franco was available, even though it was no BP league, I thought that that was a pretty good, a pretty good start. And it didn't necessarily point to any plan that I needed to follow from there because he's going to be, um, you know, playing shortstop in Tampa until they need to trade him uh, in eight, nine years. Yeah. I mean, Franco is, it, it really does give you um, extreme flexibility. If that's your first pick, uh, you're still free to kind of go with any sort of build you want because he's ready to help you win, but he's also so young. Um, now, like Bobby Witt and Julio Rodriguez were gone before your second round pick. Uh, had either of them been there, would you have considered going with like a, a really young offensive core or was the idea of getting a, an ace and Brandon Woodruff there in the second um something that appealed to you more? So I, I think I uh, got into a little bit of trouble this um, redraft year of counting on my ability to target uh, mid-round pitching. And so I didn't want to do that here. So I was, I was always looking at a pitcher and wanted to kind of hit that. Uh, my, my dynasty uh, starting pitcher sweet spot is that um, late 20s, early 30s, uh, just because it seems like they go, they're a little bit undervalued in these drafts and you will still get presumably health, um, health permitting, you'll still get a handful of um, premium seasons out of that spot. But uh, I really wanted to not be left out of the starting pitcher loop. Uh, I did a dynasty draft this time last year. My first pitcher was Steven Strasburg and um, that didn't go super well. Uh, that didn't go super well for me in, in 2021. And it's, it's hard to say if that will go any better in 2022 or beyond. So I wanted to get an arm and I thought that uh, Woodruff is somebody that maybe hasn't even approached his peak and is starting to build up a workload and um, a dude that could just be at the top of a rotation for a little while. Yeah. For, for reference, Steven Strasburg went in the 22nd round of this, <laughs> this 20 team. That's <laughs> yeah, down. that uh yeah, that's a little bit later than uh, I had to take him last year. And I mean you so your first two pitchers, Brandon Woodruff, Jose Barrios, I mean, any pitcher can get hurt at, mm -hmm. at any time, obviously. But I think 
you kind of got to feel decent at least about those two guys just from a durability and a workload standpoint. Yeah, for sure. I, I wouldn't want to pay up um, for pitching that is already volatile on top of the volatility of, or the volatility, excuse me, of the position anyways. And I think that those two could be, or could and should be uh, 180 plus innings guys for the next handful of seasons. So I think that that puts me in good shape to be able to um, take more risks with pitching later. And if, if somebody pops great, if not, then I at least have a foundation of, of innings. And sandwiched in between Woodruff and Berrios, you took Christian Yelich in the third round. Um, I've been pretty uh, vocal about sort of wanting to buy Yelich and mm-hmm. uh, Cody Bellinger at, at the, the massive discounts they're going for. Yeah. Are you are you like – do you see anything with Yelich where you're like, this is why <laughs> he's going to turn it around? Or is it just one of those things where this is an elite – premium talent, especially in OBP, um, it's almost kind of like a blind faith that like we haven't seen the last of, of premium Christian Yelich yet. Yeah, I think it's the latter. Um, our uh, Your fellow Brewer fan and um, my podcast colleague, JP Breen, just wrote an article about Christian Yelich, and he said that he was going into it trying to figure out what he was good at and what was the the issue with how he has kind of precipitously fallen. And the title of the article was, I have no idea what's going on with Christian Yelich. So I, I don't think that he's just bad now. Um, and I, yeah, I was going to bring it up if you, if you didn't, but I assume that it was a similar thinking to Bellinger when with, we've right. been doing these for however many years in a row. And those two guys have been, top tier guys that you want to target in the first or second round. Um, so if you can get them a little bit later in that, there's, there's a lot of room for um, upside and, and, and value. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, with Yelich and Bellinger and especially when we're talking about OBP, uh, you know, I, I had Bellinger as a top 10 guy for multiple years. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's, going to turn 27 in July. Um, I've had, you know, Yelich as a, like, I was totally fine taking Yelich in the first round of like a redraft league last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the back, you know, the back issues with Yelich with that, I think you're just kind of hoping that, um, you know, you get a full, I mean, you're kind of trust, you're putting a lot of trust into both these guys to do all the right things during the off season. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, um, obviously they, you know, you don't get to the levels they were at just based on talent. You have to have some level of, of work ethic and, and all mm-hmm. that type of stuff. So that's kind of my thinking. I mean, if, if you weren't getting this kind of a discount, I'd be fine just taking, you know, someone safer, but, um, you know, in dynasty and then especially in redraft where you're getting these guys like around pick 100, I think it's it's worth rolling the dice. Um, yeah, and I think that there's also something about the 2020 slash 2021 seasons yeah. being two of the weirdest, may like maybe ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I we can't really quantify how that impacts performance, but it has to on some level. Um, just you know because people are people, and. So I, I'm willing to just be a little bit more wary of 
you know, um, saying somebody is at a different stage in their career after the last couple of seasons, hopefully some, some familiarity and some routine will uh, help things to, to get back on track. But, but uh, I, I definitely agree with you that the back thing is a little bit worrisome. It's sort of like a shoulder thing for pitchers. Like I, I, I don't love the back injuries. And then in the fifth round, John uh, Mancata, I mean, I've, another guy, very strong in, in OBP. I just, I'm very fascinated by how Yon Mankata's skill set has ended up being just so different from what it was supposed to be when he was that elite prospect and we were dreaming on the power and the speed. And then over these past couple seasons, like the power and the speed have been the, the weakest parts of the profile. Yeah. How do he, you see him kind of like, is he this guy is this is this the player you drafted like the, the guy we've seen in recent years or do you think that we could still maybe see a return i mean the speed that usually doesn't come back mm-hmm, right like do you see another power level there for him um yeah i'm not i'm not counting on um too many if any steals from moncada but i i just and maybe it's an eye test thing of the whatever um, old school scout where you're just like, man, this guy looks like he should be able to hit for power. Or every time I'm flipping on a White Sox game, he's like hitting a screamer off the wall. Um, But I I think that he could get that 2019, 25 to 30 home run level. And then you pair that with the OBP. Um, He's another one of those guys that's just been hurt a bunch for the last two years. He was a, he was one of the first to talk about how, uh, coming back from COVID had affected his energy and, and power uh, last year. So I, I think that he's somebody uh, similar to Yelich and Bellinger in the severe uh, value drop just over the last couple of years, maybe not, not to that same level because he never got into that first round conversation. But I do think that the the bloom has kind of come off the Yohan Mankata rose. And I've always just been enamored with, what he could be when he puts it all together. And I think that even if he doesn't hit that peak, uh, 20, 25 home runs, a decent, um, well, I got plus OVP. I was going to say a decent average, but that doesn't matter as much. Um, and I think that the White Sox will be good for the next couple of years. So his counting stats should be uh, pretty solid as well. So I think that there's a three, four year window where he could still be a, um, a value at that spot where, where we got him. Yeah. I mean, Mancata, you know, if he could just play 150 games, that White Sox lineup is just going to be pretty ridiculous next mm-hmm. year. And yeah, yeah the, the runs plus RBI uh, ceiling there is is quite high. Uh, Trent Grisham, I mean, this is a guy who probably like a year, if we had done this draft a year ago, I would have been eyeing Trent Grisham in like the third round. Um and then he, you know, I know he was like playing through some injuries last year, uh, but it got to the point in even in like 15 team redraft leagues where I was like benching him down the stretch. Yeah, he, he was so bad. I mean, are you kind of writing that off because of those the the injuries that he was sort of playing through in the lower body and everything? Or yeah, yeah, I sort of think that as we move through the draft, um, the trend for me is 
Well, they were drafted a lot higher last year at this time. They can't all be this bad now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that Grisham has generally done a good job of getting on base, um, even if he struggles at the plate. And so I think for an OBP league, that, that should be um, that should be a, a nice uh, baseline for him. But, I mean, even he played 132 games last year, and even in, in a down year it was – 15 homers and 13 steals. So um, you just add a, a few more games to that and you're looking at a, a pretty solid option. And then if you can even get a little bit more out of the bat, then, you know, then we're cooking. And I, I just think that I bet now all of these guys aren't going to bounce back. So it, it's cool if you uh, take one or two and hope that they bounce back. But I have like, half my team is those guys. So I think that I'll probably would have to be doing some in-season management, but um, yeah, I think that there were um, some pretty decent discounts uh, after struggles in 2021. And the third pitcher you took was Blake Snell, who has (laughs) kind of become, uh, he's, he's become a darling of um, like, I've noticed a lot of really smart, uh, redraft players are are in on him um, because of how strong he finished last season mm-hmm. uh, using that slider a bit more uh, and I almost wonder like if we did this draft like two months from now if Blake Snell might not have made it outside of the top 100 um, how, do, how are you feeling about that pick in the seventh round yeah it's you know it's goes along with my theme of uh picking guys who weren't very good in 2021. So um, I think that I, I also really like to look at how we get finishes. Um, you mentioned tinkering with the pitch mix. Um, another non-quantifiable thing, like going to a new setting, learning new opponents, being familiar in, in new digs. And I, I think that there's something to that. Um, we'll find out just how much next year. But he, he's another guy that's young-ish um, in that window that I like for dynasty pitching. And I think that if I would have stopped with Snell um, in the first 15, 16 rounds uh, for rostering pitchers, I would have been in better shape. But um, that's something that I, th- I think I took a few too many pitchers early. Um, but I, I, that threesome of Woodruff, Burrios, and Snell, uh, I really liked as a foundation to um, to start the staff. Yeah, I mean, in a twenty team league, um, that's really strong. That's that's interesting. So you you've got regrets. Uh, it sounds like I have a few. <laughs> um, you you took Herman Marquez in the tenth, Tristan McKenzie in the thirteenth. Syndergaard in the 14th, Alex Reyes in the 15th. Um, so, yeah, you you probably near the top in terms of pitchers rostered at, at that point. Um, I mean, yeah, Syndergaard is the one that I – I guess I'm just – I'm really scared, and I have mm-hmm. Syndergaard in a decent amount of dynasty leagues. And, yeah. like, you know, Syndergaard, the pitching prospect, is one of my favorite pitching prospects of all time. Like, I just mm-hmm. was in love with Peak Syndergaard. Um, but, you know, when you've been doing this a, a while, the guys who really struggle to come back from that TJ um, in, a, in a timely manner, it is kind of a red flag. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you 
took him in the 14th round. Uh, the other pitchers that went in that round were um, Mike Soroka, who we also haven't seen pitch in a long time, Hyunjin Ryu, who's you know uh, quite a bit older than Syndergaard, and Jack Leiter, who, who has never pitched in the majors. So is that one where you just felt like the risk was worth the reward at that point? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think that the later, like I had um, highlighted Syndergaard on my on my cheat sheet just to see how far he'd fall, and it just got to a point where I was willing to to jump in. Um, in retrospect, I, I might have waited a little bit longer just because of the roster construction of how many pitching pitchers I had already at that point. But I, I think that. And I don't know, man, I, I, I don't know what it is about the Angels, but they'll get somebody that I've been interested in and I'll be like, oh, well, here it is. Here's here's when they come out of it. And, you know, they never do. And I never learn. So um, maybe Syndergaard will be the exception that proves the rule. But I yeah, I it doesn't necessarily seem like going to the Angels as a pitcher is a way to rejuvenate your career. Yeah, going from the Mets to the Angels, um, it's like bad to worse in terms of uh, <laughs> yeah. the way they handle pitchers. Although we, we did see that one uh, bizarrely good year, or I guess that was the, the pandemic year, uh, the Dylan Bundy mm-hmm. um, yeah. finally having a good year, but that was obviously uh, fool's gold. And then Alex Cobb was good for them last year. Um, and I, I feel pretty good about Alex Cobb going to the Giants, but – um, would have been nice if Syndergaard had gone to a team like the Giants or something like that. Yeah. You'd feel a little bit better. That seems um, to be the pipeline. Like you go to the Giants for a year or two and then hit free agency again, make a bunch of money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think <laughs> I think drafting Giants starting pitchers in fantasy uh, is a good plan until proven otherwise at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so through seven rounds, you had not taken a prospect. Um, Wander Franco, certainly a, a recent prospect, but all mm-hmm. big leaguers uh, through those first seven rounds. And then you pivoted to Jordan Walker in the eighth and Zach Veen in the ninth. Uh, and I, I kind of did a similar thing with uh, in the 10th and 11th round, dipping my toe into the prospect water. Uh, what, what was, was it, about those guys specifically, was it like a tier of prospects drying up? Um, what kind of pushed you in that direction after the seventh round? Yeah, I think that it was a, a little bit had to do with um, when I took the two pitchers in the first four rounds, I really had my sights set on uh, Fran Mill Reyes in the fifth. And it's a bad idea to look that far ahead in any draft. And so, um, you know, best laid plans and all that. Uh, he went a couple of picks before I could take him. And then I was looking at the draft board. I was looking at my roster and just didn't know where I was going to get any power that I could rely on. So I, I thought that maybe Walker and Veen could be um, power guys. And um, Veen is probably a little bit safer in OBP leagues, but I, I've really enjoyed seeing Jordan Walker so far this year. And I think that he could be um, he could be just a monster at, at wherever they put him um, in St. Louis. So let's say that we were playing out this league. Yeah. Um, 
do you would you envision yourself holding Walker and Veen? Would you envision yourself like continuing to let their prospect stock climb a little bit and then trading them within the next like calendar year? Like how would you envision that? Because they were the only prospects you took uh, inside the first 17 rounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I mean, it, the boring answer is it depends how the season started. Right. If it looks like I'm pretty far behind out of the gate, which is entirely possible uh, based on um, some of this uh, offensive roster construction, then I would maybe look to move Yelich or somebody else that's a little bit older. I, I wouldn't have any issues flipping either of them for a late 20s, early 30s uh, power option um, just to see if I can make up a little bit of ground in, in that category um, just because they are a little bit farther away than maybe a more established uh, higher high minors guy. Uh, so I, I mean, I would not want to trade them. But I under I am fully aware of if this team is good at all, then they would be the most premium trade chips that I would have to offer. Yeah, I think that that's that's a, a good answer on that one. Um, do you have one or two picks that sort of stand out as your favorites um, from your roster? I have a favorite pick of a guy that I don't like, which is weird. Um, I took. Zach Plezak in the 19th and I don't think like he was getting pumped up so huge heading into 2020 and I just didn't understand that all as a fan of the Guardians watching him pitch and was like this is like I I think some of you may be getting a little uh carried away um I think he's good um but at, at that at that stage in the 19th round um, for a guy that doesn't or will be 27 heading into 2022. Uh, I think that that's a pretty decent gamble that he could be a mid rotation option. If not have seasons where he's a little bit better than that. And I think that at, at that late stage, um, I, I was a fan of that pick, even though I don't really like Zach please Zach all that much. That's yeah, it's interesting that you're a Guardians fan um, and you're you're willing to do that. Um, <laughs> I, I I mean I mean it's just such a it's such kind of a mess like that rotation yeah. like outside of the top um, couple guys. I guess I just don't know who's who's guaranteed to be in it by the time mm-hmm. we get to like May or June. Like, are they going to be shopping these guys? Yeah, um, because they have so many interesting guys who are coming up through the pipeline mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I, I, and I think that that was why I was so disappointed heading into 21 as a fan. Just, it seemed like the last two years were just let's trade away all of our pitching and just trust our development to be able to create more pitching. And they, they kind of did to a certain level with uh, McKenzie looking better with Cal Quantrill looking a little better, but, but still like there, there aren't really any guarantees in the option and even Bieber's coming back from injury. So I don't uh, know where that really puts them, but um, I, I think that there are probably worse dart throws of an organization to bet on middling pitching to uh, get the most out of, out of those guys. 
Mark, before I let you go, um, what advice would you have for someone who was about to do a, a startup dynasty draft this offseason? Um, I, I think that you should try to do things like this or read uh, read everyone's accounts or keep listening to Rotowire podcasts like this one to uh, to get some tips. And then when you're heading into an actual draft, like have an idea. Like I, I sort of feel like I felt behind, fell behind a little on this one just because I didn't have an idea. And I think that that was on purpose. But if you're, you're going into something for real, you need to have a plan. Um, and then something smaller is don't be fooled by minor league steals because the rules are so different now for each level and you can't really quantify, you can't really uh, take any of them to heart. Uh, but I, I think that that's, that's an area where we'll, we'll notice that they mean less than ever, but um, as not an overarching strategy idea, just don't be fooled by minor league steals. I think that's a uh, very, very sound uh, advice. <laughs> Um, I haven't always, I've been always taking it, but I can, you know, give the advice. <laughs> uh, do you want to let people know where they can follow your work and what you've been working on over at baseball perspectives? Yeah, man. Um, at baseball perspectives, we're, uh, just plowing through the off season, hoping to get some news on real baseball starting up soon. So, um, we have articles going up every day. Um, we might be getting back into the Tino. There is no offseason podcast. I think we're, we're locked out as well right now. I've <laughs> taken a little hiatus. Um, but yeah, just, um, this is, this is really cool. There's so much good stuff out there. Um, if you're a dynasty player that you can, uh, follow from all these different sites. So, um, yeah, check us out at baseball prospectus, but check all of it out because it's, it's all fun. Yeah, if you don't have a baseball prospectus subscription, you should definitely uh, remedy that um, because I'm sure the the content will be great as the offseason. Yeah, I think, and I think that you can get a package with a T-shirt if you do it like wow. this month. So that's kind of cool. Nice. <laughs> well, uh, really appreciate you taking part in the mock draft, Mark, and really appreciate you coming on to, to discuss discuss your team. Yeah, man, this was fun. Um, thanks. Uh, good luck with everything. Happy holidays. Yeah, you too. This has been the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet. I'll be back next week with more coverage of the Rotowire Dynasty Mock.